It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with certified financial planners Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. And with me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Well, it's no surprise considering all that's happening in the world these days, but socially responsible investing has started to become a trend on Wall Street and with investors in the past couple of years. What does it mean and is it wise? That and more this hour on Wise Money. That's right. So we're going to we're going to break that down a little bit, tell you what it's all about and sort of debate its merits coming up here. If you have a question, we're going to be hitting several questions from fans of the show and also specifically some insurance questions because we're we want to thank our uh, special sponsor for today, Auto Owners Insurance who is sponsoring this show. We appreciate that Auto Owners. If you if you have a question for us, we'd love to hear from you. You can call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com. Submit a question right there on the right. And then all over social media, that's an easy place to submit questions. That's where most of the questions come from. And so you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and the YouTube channel. Just search The Wise Money Show. All right. At its surface, if you hear socially responsible investing, you're like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. And actually, it doesn't make sense at all. It is <laughs> extremely confusing. And there's a few different categories. I mean, socially responsible investing is different from impact investing, which is different from ESG investing, which is, you know, and, and yeah. all it's not standardized. And so anyway, it can be quite confusing to the average investor. Let's what does this mean? What is it? And then let's talk about its, uh, you know, debate its merits here. You know, I, I think of socially responsible investing, or some some people maybe use the phrase socially conscious investing. Um, yeah, you mentioned ESG, which is actually an acronym for um, three different types of screens that might um, weed out certain investments that you would you would own. It stands for environmental, social, or governance. But all of these, whatever acronym you want to use, whatever label you want to place on it, it's basically a methodology for picking what types of investments you want to own based on more than just, hey, do I believe that this is a good investment that's going to generate a great return? I want to screen out investments for other more qualitative rather than quantitative reasons. And it might be that um, you want to only own stocks, for example, in companies that either um, encourage certain uh, causes or, or movements that you really believe in and you want to be behind, or maybe they avoid certain behaviors or activities, that kind of thing, that you really don't want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And so the, the point here is it's a screening system. And it's, it's saying of all the thousands of companies or all the thousands of different investments out there that you could select from, you're saying, I want to I kind of weed out the ones that don't align with my own personal values and then select from the ones that are remaining. And, and then a more traditional approach to investing um, begins with, 
yeah, is this an investment that I think is going to generate a, a rate of return that will compensate me for the risks that I'm taking? So it's just a different approach. It's a different process that you would go through for picking your investments. And, and we're going to get into some of the challenges with this, but 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 off, um, you know, right right at the cusp, it's so so. There's sort of three different categories of this, and so ESG. Josh already mentioned that that's an acronym for environmental, social, and governance, and how that's defined is you're you're screening and you're only investing in companies that have certain environmental, social, and governance sort of standards. And, um, and so you're screening out those that sort, of, that sort of meet those standards. Now, that's separate. It's very closely connected to, but it's separate from socially responsible investing that looks um, actively at removing or choosing specific investments based on their ethical guidelines. And that could be alcohol, tobacco, guns, those sorts of things. And then finally, there's a third category that is called impact investing. And this all sounds the same, like, but impact investing is actually looking for businesses or organizations to complete a, a specific project or to tackle a certain um, need that a community or a you know, mankind or people group has. And so let's raise, let's, we're going to create an investment to just make an impact on X community and and do this sort of thing, bringing water to this area or or solving pollution in this area, and they're raising investments and support towards that. So that's a cool concept. I mean, it's almost saying, hey, I, I don't want to leave it up to government, for example, to go hit these certain causes, or or maybe you're just looking around and there aren't certain charitable organizations that are getting it done, and and there are many folks who believe that a business with an economic incentive still can go achieve great things just because of the nature of trying to be efficiently run and well well structured very focused on that that mission so impact based uh, investing like this it may resonate with a lot of a lot of folks now i you know would you throw tesla in the impact investing i mean where tesla at least for the vehicles they're trying to uh, have zero emissions. I mean, so that's the impact they're trying to. You you might and you might say, hey, I want to invest uh, in something that's moving us away from fossil fuels. Right. The problem with Tesla is the environmental damage yeah. that is done creating the batteries that their cars use. Now, so I mean, y- y- this is yeah. this is the problem: is that by solving one one potential problem. You might create several others, and I wouldn't. I would encourage you to say if you were going to invest in Tesla, the the first screen that I would use wouldn't be the social screen; it'd be the the financial screen. Right. So I mean, because if you said, "Hey, they they check the box for how how I look at the world and approach the world socially." Um, but they're a horrible investment. Would you really want to do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the 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 degree of complication. It it sounds great, and I actually had a client that came to me, and he had uh, retired. He was a professor, and he had gone to a, a, an investment seller and bought investments, and this uh, person that pretty much sold investments. I, I wouldn't call him a financial advisor. 
um, that, but this person that sold investments screened and came up with a, about 11 stocks to put a million bucks into. Mm. Wow. And so the concentration that, that this guy had and, and the, the, I, I personally call that career risk because what happened was the portfolio, his portfolio did horrible. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. And, but he said, Hey, I don't want to do anything with a company that might have something to do with abortion mm-hmm. or any, and he had his list. And I said, well, the, you know, that's, that's great. But I mean, really <laughs> almost the only way to get that kind, the, the kind of purity you might be hoping for is to create your own, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. Have your own business right. or, or fill in the blank. Because any anywhere you go beyond that, there will be an influence and you the you will be linked to seemingly unrelated things where you say, wait a minute, my money is going to help that. I own stock in that company. You know, I own stock in Apple. So my my money is going to slave labor to build these iPhones. So I mean, all of a sudden, yeah, I mean that that's part of it. Now we're going we're going to get into this, and we're also not just poo pooing the idea. I mean, as Josh said, this is this is a very noble idea. Pulling it off is very tricky and has some some uh, some you know, complexity. So we're going to get into all of that and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Socially responsible investing or even ESG type investing, it's getting a lot of publicity right now, trending very much. However, very complicated. We're getting into that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn. Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. So if you love podcasts, please check it out. You can listen to the entire library right there, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. Just go and search the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Rate the show and leave comments there. We appreciate that. All right. So we're talking about the big emerging trend of socially responsible investing, SRI, which is a little bit different than ESG investing environmental social governance, which is also different from impact investing. Now there are, in my in my view, three big challenges with this. But then also, I mean, it is. I mean, we, we all want to have a positive impact, don't we? Don't we? I, I, I think I think so. In a and, vacuum, of uh, course. Of course. And so um, so with that being the case, if this is appealing, what what can you be doing about it? So the the first challenge that I see with this is I often have had conversations with people and I I see this a lot in this trend where people say I want to do ESG investing or 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 socially responsible investing because I don't want my money going to help these or to 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 fund these causes like Kevin you mentioned you know the the facilities in which they make the iPhones. Well, I don't want to invest in Apple stock because I don't want my money going towards those sorts of endeavors. And I would argue that's not what you're doing when you're investing. That's what you're doing when you're 
consuming. When you buy the iPhone. When you buy the iPhone, right. that's what's happening. Yeah, that's but true. when you invest in Apple, you're just buying someone else's shares. By you investing in Apple, you're not giving money to Apple. You're not funding those causes. You are when you're buying those. those. So the, the thing that I've thought was just quite interesting, Nike, of course, has has made it part of their marketing and they've really stood up to some of the issues that we're facing right now. And yet it's been long understood that they, the, the folks that, that sew the Nike products, <laughs> right, are, uh, I had someone say, uh, isn't it interesting on the back of the NBA jerseys, some say equality, what if you were the individual stitching that into those jerseys making less than minimum wage in a sweatshop somewhere, mm. typing or stitching in equality. Mm-hmm. And so though it's when you're making purchases, when you're consuming, that's when you're actually giving your dollars to certain businesses. And you need to be aware of that as whether you're supporting or not. When you're investing in a stock that's typically in the secondary market, you're not you're not actually giving your money to that company. However, there is maybe the rebuttal to that would be there are some folks who really feel um, you know it really tugs at their conscience. They don't want to profit from those activities either, right? right? right. And and you know actually I was uh, standing in a group at church. We had masks on. We were socially distancing. All that. Don't worry, but. The conversation came up after a service, this very topic, you know, hey, Josh, what do you think about socially responsible investing? And uh, some some other comments were shared and, and opinions that, you know what, this for, for many people is a faith issue even, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and they believe, hey, I, I'm going to be held accountable someday for how I stewarded or how I managed what I believe is God's money, not just my money. And um, so for them, um, if, if you believe uh, that to be true, they, they might draw the line as, I don't even want to profit off of certain activities. And, and it could be, uh, I, I don't want to have anything to do with alcohol. I don't want to have anything to do with uh, maybe defense stocks. Uh, maybe I don't want to have um, I- anything to do with um, drugs or, or tobacco or something. The, the point here is that everyone has their convictions yep. and they have their values and it could be as a consumer you don't want to buy from companies that do this it could also be that you don't want to invest in companies because you don't want to profit from them and that that goes to the second big challenge that i see with this and that is your your social concerns and your social um um your 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 empathy towards certain issues, that's unique to you. Now, you might share some of those in common with someone else, but I don't think there's a universal standard for this is socially responsible and these things aren't. That's up to each individual person. And 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 Josh, you nailed it. I mean, the oftentimes what is mainstream social issues, sometimes, oftentimes, are different than the social issues that that a that Christians have, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And and so just saying, I don't want to have either profits or fund these sorts of activities. So therefore, I should be in socially responsible investing. You actually might go to be funding things that are against your social responsibility yeah. just because they fit someone else's social. Yeah. They define it differently than you, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I uh, 
Kevin and I, I remember, he, I think he turned me on to it. I listened to a podcast, this is a couple years ago, about someone detailing the various nuances of our own socially empathetic choices or feelings. And, and when you try to invest based on that, it's almost no investment strategy at all because it is changing so quickly. Yeah. What's socially responsible for one person is very different from for another person, very different for another person, very different for another person. So in practice, just simply buying in a socially responsible mutual fund, I don't think is a way to pull this off. And it, to me, I would say if you go back in time about 20 years ago, this this became a, a, an issue when it, people were talking about tobacco because tobacco was the big killer and Philip Morris was the evil giant with tobacco. And they would say, I, I want to have a mutual fund, but I don't want it to own Philip Morris. And I would say to them, so how do you feel like if you get, you guys like Kraft macaroni and cheese, you like Jell-O brand pudding and putting pops, and that's when Dr. Huxtable was the spokesman oh, yeah. for uh, for that. I mean, that was a, a a seemingly more innocent time. Little did we know, but it, when you when you looked at that, I'm like, okay, so yes, they you don't like the Marlboro Man, and you think that anything that you can do to punish a company that has something to do with that would be a righteous thing to do. But you you're you're still buying Kraft macaroni and cheese and these these pudding pops, and you're you're giving a direct payment yeah. to Philip Morris by putting that stuff on your table. Yet in your portfolio, you say I won't own Philip Morris. So I'm all my only point is, which I think we've been kind of making a little bit. It's it is nearly impossible to pull this off in a way because you, you know, in 1987, Philip Morris didn't own Kraft and in 1988, they did. Yeah. So you say, okay, now what? Yeah. And now do I go and sell a position in my portfolio? So it- I've shared with you guys before, uh, one of the, one of the coolest experiences that I had when I was in college was uh, being a part of an internship where I got to help a company that does socially responsible investing do the screening or the searching, um, kind of looking for dirt. I felt a little bit like a private investigator, a detective <laughs> or something. Um, you can find something on every company. Yeah. And and there are reasons to screen every stock out of a portfolio if you allow it. And that's what makes this so difficult. It has to be your values, not someone else's. That That's right. So it's hard to standardize those across uh, the entire investor universe. And so there's there's an additional one, one additional main risk that we got to hit on. And then for those of you that are interested in this, what can you do about it? We've got that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us today. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFC studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay connected to everything Wise Money. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. 
or check us out on wherever you're at on, on social media. We are there as well, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all that sort of stuff. So stay engaged, stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us there, follow us, and leave comments and questions there as well. Speaking of comments, gosh, if you could just filter the number of social media contents related to social issues this year, I'm sure we've broken a record. And and just the social issues that are happening and and taking their uh, their centered stage publicly, that's led to more and more people being interested in socially responsible investing. We're defining that today and actually talking about the challenges and and um, and there's three major challenges and and we've hit the first two. Now the third, to me, is it's hard to universally apply it. So imagine you've got your 401k and it's appropriate for you to be investing there. And the only investment options you have in the 401k are index funds. Now with index funds, you own everything in the index. And so you say, well, I, I don't want to have, I want to have a socially responsible screen. But then when you look at the actual owning of the index, you own 0.021% of a company that maybe you don't want to own and you say well gosh is it really worth it for me to screen out an index for something that is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a holding and and so it almost in some areas specifically 401ks where your investment options are limited or target date funds i mean these are other trends in investing index investing and target date investing. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to, and you'd probably say impossible, to have in a socially responsible screen in every area of investing. Index investing, it's pretty much impossible. And target date investing, it's not possible. So therefore, it's not really possible to do this in your 401k, simple IRA, those sorts of things. I, I, I think I would agree with that. Or at least you would have to turn to uh, see if maybe your 401k has a brokerage window built into it or something. Mm -hmm. And this is basically a way for you to use a portion or all of your 401k money, uh, the, the dollars you've accumulated in, in that account, to invest like a brokerage account where you can go out and pick different investments that aren't in the normal lineup that your employer selected. Maybe that could be a way for you to to direct some some of your investment dollars in the retirement plan towards this socially responsible approach, if you have that available, if you have it available, and, and many don't. Right, and again, that when you when you start at the very beginning and you say, how do you make your investment decisions? If the investment decisions are, I want to invest in the very best companies in the world that will give me the best opportunity to reach my financial goals, that's one approach, and so then you look at various sectors and and you know different um, areas geographically that you'd want to be invested and different um, size of companies that you'd want to be invested in so there are all kinds of screens there or you could say the the thing the, the thing that matters to me is I want to have ESG you know I want to have these types of funds and invest in those the the issue becomes if you've got something outside of your 401k where you're doing ESG and then you're have an index fund, you can have portfolio overlap, you can yeah. have unrewarded risk. There are all these things that are 
that you know you could we could kind of nerd out on um but that i would so th- this is what i would encourage you if you if you're really passionate about esg investing or socially responsible investing whatever um work with someone who can help you on that and can can keep an eye on the things that y- your eyes aren't really looking at mm-hmm. because that it's important so that you don't get kind of bushwhacked yeah that's not a technical term, but you know what I'm saying. I, I actually, uh, yes. So for those of you, I, I mean, and we're talking about the complications. We're not telling you this is a terrible idea and, oh, it's awful. Um, but but we're talking about the challenges with it. So for those of you that say, hey, actually, I want my impact or I want my investing to be to have this socially responsible screen. Yeah, work with your certified financial planner. I mean, one of our, um, actually two of our investing strategies we use mutual fund companies that currently meet our investing screens that actually have socially responsible screens as well. And so we could help if, if that's something you're interested in. Well, I would just go back to, I would, I would go back to the, the challenge. I would have you, if, if this is a sensitive part for you, I would say you can do, you can have more of an impact in ESG and socially responsible consumption than investing. Because with investing, your dollars are not going to fund those activities. But when you are consuming those products, you are directly funding those activities. And so I would, and this isn't a cop out, but the social stuff right now going on in America is, it's unbelievable what we're facing. And we all want to do our very best. And I would say that's going to have a much bigger impact in your consumption than it will in your investing. So I, th- I like the idea of socially responsible consumption and financially responsible investing. Yeah, yeah. Because you, for sure, the direct payments to the company when you buy that product are much more beneficial to that company than if you bought that company stock. Yeah, yeah. And then the other way to really, really pull this off, and in, in, my, in my opinion, the purest way to really pull this off is for the small, small, small minority of individuals that have been blessed with enough resources to then screen the actual companies that stand for the specific issues that you want to um, avoid or be a part of and invest enough in those direct stocks that you then have influence in how the company is run. Now you might say, world doesn't work that way. Actually, that is what it is. I mean, when you own stock, you you were part owner of the company. And it's just rarely do we own enough, does the average investor own enough to actually have a say in how things are going. But if you were to really pull this off, true socially responsible investing, since we all have our own social um, barometer, you could screen out companies that actually stand for what you care about, invest a lot in those and be influential there. Now, I don't have the resources. I haven't been blessed and I'm not stewarding those resources. Many of us aren't, but that's really the way to pull this off. So, all right. I hope that I hope that helps. We're going to transition to a few questions from fans of the show. We got the first one here from Ali, uh, 52. I'm no, Ali, sorry, 52, California, submitted it online. What are the benefits of custodial Roth IRA? Would this be the best type of account to open for my child, um, or is there a different plan? Great question, Ali, Ellie, Ellie. <laughs> so the 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 question is what what are the 
what are the potential uses and what needs to happen in order to be able to invest? So there are a number of custodians that will not allow a custodial Roth IRA. So first of all, you got to find a custodian that will allow a custodial Roth IRA. A lot of companies, unless they're 14 years old or older, they, they have a, an age that they draw the line. Yeah, a lot of companies right? say 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of companies as an, one that we work with a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do that, you might be creating some complexity. The other thing that's necessary to fund a Roth IRA that's not necessary to fund a 529 is the child has to have income. The individual earned income. Has to paycheck money. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's right. So if the child has income, it might make a ton of sense to fund the Roth IRA in a custodial account on behalf of the child. That that that's right. And then you also know what's this what's the purpose of this money? You gotta figure that out as well. So we're gonna pick that question back up and then also hit a few insurance questions. That and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. What kind of deductibles should you have when you're picking your insurance? Good question. From a fan of the show, we're going to answer it right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFC Studios Kevin Corhorn, Josh Gregory, want to say special thank you to our sponsor of this show, Auto Owners Insurance, specifically sponsoring this segment of insurance questions from fans of the show. Thank you, Auto Owners. Check them out with your local independent insurance agency, such as ours. So check it out. All right. So let, before we get into those insurance questions, anything else for Allie or Ollie, 50, or excuse me, 42 from California, what are the benefits of a custodial Roth? Should I use this account or a different type of plan, like a 529 plan? I mean, the, the other thing is, if the money's for college, then the 529 plan uh, w- would likely be a better use than the Roth IRA. Now, they both can be college funding tools, but on the order of benefit, you'd probably say the 529 has slightly more benefit than the Roth if yeah, the money's for college. Yeah, you don't want to lose sight of how um, financial aid calculations are run, that sort of thing, because assets and income in a child's name are treated differently than the assets and income in a parent's name. And 529 plan and Roth dollars, they might be looked differently or looked at differently by the colleges when they're running these calculations as well. Yeah. And the difference, one of the differences is that the Roth IRA, the custodial Roth IRA that you're, would your child would own and it would be that money would be in their name you you wouldn't do that with a 529 the mm-hmm. 529 you would own and the child would be the beneficiary of that mm-hmm. so it's a it it's very it's actually very different it's very different so you'd start by asking the question what's the purpose of this money what's the purpose of this money and then you've got to go through some of the qualifying you know well it's hopefully for long term, you know. Well, then uh, we'll use the Roth if that child had earned income. That that could make a lot of sense. If the money is for 
you know, uh, a down payment on a house, I wouldn't use either of these. If the money's for college, consider the 529. You've got to figure out what's the purpose of this money. Um, because you could take a very great, or excuse me, a very good idea, like the Roth IRA or 529, and have it be disastrous if you use it for the wrong purpose. Right. So think in terms, Allie, if, you, if it's the child's money that they've earned, the Roth IRA is likely a, a great potential candidate. If it's your money that you've earned and you're eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA, then that might be something to consider for you yourself because that's where you have to decide, Allie, do you want to put money into a 529 or a Roth IRA on your behalf? That's right. That's right. So certainly financial planning question. It totally, totally is. So, all right. Again, with Auto Owners as a sponsor, we got a couple of questions here from fans of the show that are insurance related. And I love this one. Let me tell you a quick story. So I had an individual come in who's who's fan of the show. Um, and they came in and said, hey, we need some help. We, we, if we do, we, I've done this myself for a long time, but we're now reaching the point where we need to make some big financial decisions, and I feel like I've taken us as far as we can go. And I, I need someone who does this all day, every day, who has ideas that I don't have and can help us. And we, we sat down, we laid out our ideas, and it was, it was a powerful couple of meetings, and, and we're, we're moving forward. And, and when it got to their insurance, this individual has been preparing for retirement. It's got about... Mm, 175,000 in, in cash and the bank and CDs. And you look at their um, the insurance and they had $100 deductibles hmm. on their insurance. And you'd say, "Well, wait a, wait a second. Now, you know, if I get in an accident, I don't want to have to pay out of pocket. I, so I, I get that. However, for that luxury, I have to pay more premium for my auto insurance all along the way. And when I've got that much money sitting in cash, I could technically afford more if I'm in an accident, more out of pocket. And because of that, I should be paying less for my premium, less for my auto insurance. Mm-hmm. It's just inconsistent. So, so how do you determine what deductible is best? Well, there are a couple of ways to determine, but I, I, I think you want to think about what is a deductible. So a deductible is I'm those are the first dollar when there's a loss I'm paying the first dollars. So the question is, do I want to pay the first hundred or the first thousand? And when you have insurance, there's a there's a low probability uh, that a that a high cost loss will incur. So if there's a low probability that it will occur, I. I really want to bet. Now now we're at the, the betting table. So I want to bet that I'm not going to have that event. But the other thing is I don't want insurance to be close to my first dollar of coverage. I It's called self-retention. I want to retain some of that risk for my own self because it changes what I pay for my insurance. Yeah, right. So if it, if it changes what I pay for my insurance, instead of having a $100 deductible, because with a $100 deductible, I'm making a bet that I'm going to have that event. Mm-hmm. I'm betting that I'm going to have the event. And oh, by the way, if I have the event and I have a claims history, it's likely that my insurance is going to go up anyway. T- t- hasn't, though, that bet 
I mean, insurance companies have already done all of the analysis on that bet, right? They hire actuaries to do all of the statistical analysis on that probability, and that's called your premium. <laughs> I mean, so the bet is actually factored into your premium. So I, I, I think you're right, Kevin. It will I get an accident today? Yeah, we all have those, you know, those um, that risk. But the bet has been placed on the amount of premium. That's that's how it's already been factored. So your ability. So I look at your deductible choice as more so your ability to cover that amount of loss if so, you have. So you're one. pointing more to what kind of cash do you have on hand? What emergency fund are you operating with? Would it create a hardship to you to pay the first thousand dollars or the first two thousand dollars? I mean, you fill, fill in the blank depending on whether we're talking about car insurance or home insurance, that sort of thing. You pick maybe your deductible with the thought in mind, what if this does occur? Is it creating a hardship or am I ready for it? And certainly the example that you gave, someone who's got $175,000 liquid at their fingertips, it, probably we could argue it's not a hardship if they were to pay the first $1,000. But I would add one more uh, wrinkle to this story problem because just because you can uh, handle a higher deductible doesn't mean that you're necessarily being rewarded real well for it. Because sometimes we actually crunch the numbers and we say, okay, if you were to take this deductible, say $250, um, here's what your premium would be on an annual basis. But what if we bumped it to 500 so we just doubled it? How much does it save you? What if it barely saves you anything? Uh, a dollar. Yeah, I mean, just almost a, a, a rounding error at that point. If you're not actually being rewarded for taking that extra risk onto your shoulders, maybe it's a bad idea. So... This is where, you know, it's important to us that these insurance decisions should be made in the context of your financial plan because it, it has an impact on your present financial position and what kind of assets you have, but also on your cash flow. So here's where a bad idea becomes a good idea. So I had, we had some friends and they had some uh, water in their basement claim paid. Then a high wind came and the neighbor's trampoline blew onto their roof or something crazy like that. Another claim paid. Hmm. And then they hit a deer. Hmm. And all within the span of maybe six months. Gee, hmm. sounds like Josh Gregory. That <laughs> guy's a walking loss. And, and so <laughs> not even true. No, Josh is a winner. So so here's here's the interesting thing. They their insurance company non-renewed them yeah. because of the number of losses. And this is where if you take the mindset to insurance and you say the first dollar, the first dollars, the first thousand dollars on my car, the first twenty five hundred on my house, uh, I'm responsible for and I'm going to make preparations in order to pay those. It does slow you down and keep you from doing a claim. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, wait a minute, that's what I have insurance for. Mm -hmm. It is, but you have to understand the game. Because if you, if you I had, a, I had a, a, an issue, boom, I have a claim, issue, claim, issue, claim, non-renew. So, you, so I, I wouldn't 
approach this as a fear monger and say, well, don't you ever make a claim on your insurance? But I would say, I can tell you this, I've seen a number of circumstances where the $1,000 deductible had the person, you know, writing a check for 900 bucks to get that little ding fixed instead of turning it into their insurance. And I've seen the, the, the situation where the, the cash price to get the basement dried out was would it, it was less than if they had turned it into the insurance company. Mm-hmm. And the company doing the restoration work said, hey, listen, we should just turn this into your insurance company because, uh, and they were gonna turn it in for- they write bigger checks? Right. And so that, that I mean, that, that sounds kind of stinky, but that's kind of how the world turns, unfortunately. I've, I've talked to someone about this recently, and I remember their response when you start peeling back the layers of the onion on how insurance works. And their response was, this is a racket. And, uh, <laughs> and I would just tell you, it just feels like insurance really is there for those big losses. It's really, really there for those big losses. And you might say, well, that's not fair. Or, I, you know, I, I would, we would encourage you to have your, a stable financial house be for the small losses and have your insurance there for the really, really big losses. Okay, really quick, got to sneak this in. How important is it for your umbra- umbrella policy to cover un- and underinsured motorists? Just give me your quick response. How important is that? A thousand percent important. Yeah. Two thousand percent important. Wow. Josh gets it. Josh <laughs> is the win. winner. Now, but here's, here's, here's why this question is so interesting because most of the, many of the big, big, we are, like these companies, they don't, they don't offer it. On your umbrella, you get this extra protection and right there on the front page, on and underinsured is not covered. Yep. Just saw this uh, just yesterday, I s- actually. I saw it too. I, hey, I had it. So, I had a, a client who was thinking about selling his motorcycle, came and brought his his declarations pages and had no uninsured, no underinsured, and he had twenty five fifty limits. And I said, You can't leave here yeah. without getting yeah. the right insurance in place. It's, like, well, I, I I wanted the minimum because I didn't know if I was gonna sell it. it it's wildly mm. important and a lot of big companies are omitting this. You need un and underinsured motorists on your umbrella policy. All right. Thanks for the questions. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh, Kevin, myself, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.